On this week's Devils in the Details. A look at United's build-up in recent Premier League matches, where it's falling apart, and how this is hurting their ability to create chances, score goals, and win matches. And what is United's best lineup moving forward, with some familiar faces coming back from injury after the international break. Aaron, welcome back. How are you doing today? Not too bad, not too bad. Still three days later, fresh off Scott McTominay's wonderful winning goals. And I guess by the time people listen to this, they'll probably be eight or nine days after that match. But hopefully the vibes are still good. Um, I think it was much needed going into the international break. And now gives us a chance to talk about United's struggles without feeling completely doom and gloom about it. Certainly, on both counts, both from the perspective of needing it and from the perspective of giving us a little bit of a removal so that we can, you know, take a step back and really break this stuff down. So, as I understand it, Aaron, a little birdie told me you've been rewatching these matches from before the international break began and that you in particular, you really want to talk about what United have been doing in possession. Yeah, so... As I, I think you told me you watched Crystal Palace and Brentford, so we're going to talk about those two matches. Uh, and yeah, well, I guess we'll start with the, the league match against Crystal Palace. What, what was your main takeaway here? Where, where do you want to start off? Yeah, so first of all, when you say a little bird told you, it sounds like you read it on Twitter, whereas I just literally told you myself Correct. <laughs> that I rewatched these matches. But yeah, I rewatched the first half of Crystal Palace in the Premier League, and then the first half of Brentford, and... I mean, I was really trying to get an idea of, you know, in the last episode, we said United dominated these matches, but weren't necessarily as good as we expect them to be. Um, they went, they didn't really outcreate either of these sides by a margin where um, I would expect them to win comprehensively in either match. And basically, I wanted to find out why and have that inform a little bit more about where this team can improve going forward. Um, and... Starting with Crystal Palace, I mean, there were a number of main themes. I feel like the best way to do this might be to start from the back. Um, in particular, Varane and Lindelof started at center back in this match, and I think their lack of progressiveness really showed in how long United's build-up sequences were. They were taking really, really long to get from the defense into the attack, and that showed in a lack of chances created at the half. What do you think of United's center back selections? Obviously, Lissandro Martinez is unavailable, but... What about this group of kind of confusing center backs behind him? Um, how can United make a unit that's good enough on the ball with what they have left without Martinez? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. I, I really, I'm not sure what the solution is here. You've got Varane, who is pretty uncomfortable under pressure and isn't very progressive. You've got Lindelof, who's better under pressure, but again, not very progressive. Uh, and you've got Evans, who is pretty similar to Lindelof, except I'd say he's, he's a little bit less mobile, which makes him a little bit less evasive, which we haven't seen him pay for this, but I imagine would make him a little bit less press-resistant. Um, yeah, those are really your options. And then with the whole... The difficulty that we've had with Amrabat at left back, 
you question maybe you have to play all three of these guys, and then you have a really regressive, uh, cagey, non-risk-taking uh, back back four, or at least left side of your back four. Um, yeah, so it's a tough one. Just real quick, this is totally, I know you didn't, we haven't talked about this at all, but what are your thoughts on moving Casemiro to center back? Um, do you think that in any way helps his situation, our situation? Because he certainly is a, a more talented passer than anyone that United have at the back right now. Not totally against. Um, I definitely see the argument, and he is definitely a more talented passer than anyone United have at the back. I think the interesting thing is you mentioned Lindelof, Varane, and um, and Evans, when I think my key note from these two matches with respect to the center backs, Lissandro being out well beyond the international break, was actually that I'm beginning to think United should give Harry Maguire another chance. Um, hmm. It's a really I, you know, difficult When I was one. going over the center back options, I forgot about Maguire, which is crazy because <laughs> he actually played quite well this weekend. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one because I think Maguire's defensive instability, as well as his lack of press resistance under Ten Hag, really, has made him unreliable. But in the last few matches, I think he has looked better. And over the course of his career, the ability he has shown on the ball and what he's shown in the last few weeks makes him the best of these four defenders on the ball. And, I mean, I might end up regretting this if his defensive form over the last year is anything to go by, but I really think that the most obvious move is to bring him back into the lineup, which Ten Hag did when United played Brentford. I mean, although I will, I will, I will caveat that by saying I think he was kind of forced because Varane, I don't think was available. He wasn't selected he was in not. the squad. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I see the argument. I, I really don't think, especially United, need to win these big matches, these these small matches against uh, you know lesser sides desperately. They're 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 now big matches, right? Because of uh, the position they put themselves on the table. Uh, yeah, and I, I think Maguire. I agree. I think Maguire puts you in a, in a space where you have a better chance of doing that. I, I, I would play Maguire. I think I agree with you. Um, w- was there... What what specifically... How do you think Maguire makes United more progressive from the back? What kinds of passes is he, is he playing that, that perhaps Evans or Lindelof or Varane is not? Yeah, so I'll start off by saying that I think the center backs on the ball were much better against Brentford than they were against Crystal Palace, where there was a lot of sideways movement. And I think most of that came from Maguire. The best part of Maguire's game in this aspect is that he's more willing to carry the ball when presented an opportunity than, I'd say, either Lindelof or Varane and definitely Evans. Um, when you present him with space, if the opposition don't press him properly, he will capitalize and carry into the vacant space um, and then distribute from there. And that type of carrying can disrupt the opposition a lot more than simply a center back standing in place, even if they are a really good passer. Um, one thing you'll see Martinez do a lot is actually dribble the ball forward um, when passing options aren't opening up. And what that does is it gives the opposition, as well as your own players, uh, the chance to reconfigure. And um, usually that happens in favor of your team because the opposition has to adjust defensively and your team can create different openings that the ball can be played into. There's one thing I think Maguire did a few times against Brentford that was really good. Um, the other thing is, I don't think he cuts the lines with passes as much, but he is more willing to do it. Um, one mistake that was really common with Lindelof is, um, Lindelof is a very conservative passer, but when he does play passes through the lines, I don't think he plays them with the right waiting for the midfielders to take them under control. I think they kind of just roll either past the midfielder or too deep into their feet, or they stop short, 
Whereas I think Maguire, his passing technique allows him to play passes into the feet of the midfielders, even though he isn't as um, as willing of a line-breaking passer as someone like Martinez, both in terms of reading the opportunities and playing them. Um, and then finally, switching play. Maguire's really reliable at switching play from one side to the other, and that was something that was super valuable. I think this is a big component of Ten Hag teams that kind of overload the near side, and then you have one player who's really far-stretched on the other side. And we've seen with players like Maguire and Amrabat coming into the team that those opportunities can actually be capitalized on if you have players with the technical ability to play those diagonal passes. Um, and so I think those are the main things you could expect with Maguire and the team. I wouldn't go and say just because Maguire and Evans were better at center back against Brentford than on the ball than Lindelof and Varane against Palace that I would also play Evans. I think the happy medium here is probably playing Maguire and Varane and then Lindelof at left back if the three left backs are still out when the international break ends. Interesting. It's a historically cursed duo, Varane and Maguire. That's true, but they've um, mostly been played in times when the team was a calamity. Um, I don't think we've ever seen Maguire and Varane come in as a center back duo when the team was playing well, and then they were a massive problem as the team fell apart. Which, I mean, I know that's that's some level of cope, because obviously you want to rely on your best players to play well, even when the team is playing badly, but desperate times call for desperate measures, in my opinion, and I think we've never seen this partnership in a moment when both of them are in form and when the team is in form. So I think it could be different this time. I might be wrong on that, but yeah. I'm totally receptive to that. I, I felt the need to throw that in there. Maguire on the right or Maguire, Maguire on the left? Maguire right, on the left as well. Um, so Maguire played on the left in the cup against Crystal Palace, I believe, and then he played on the right against Brentford in this match, and he was fine in both. But one thing I do tend to notice is that uh, when Maguire plays on the left, he uses his uh, his left shoulder as a crutch um, under the press. So when he plays on the left side of center back, he can receive with the with the right with his right foot behind his left foot, and therefore he can shield off contact and buy himself an extra few seconds to play the pass. Um, and he's good enough at digging out the pass with his right foot to the right flank, um, and then when he's not under pressure, at playing a quick ball with, front, with his right foot to the left flank that I don't think the angles mess him up that much. Um, Ten Hag has cited rest defense as a reason why Maguire has played on the right for the majority of his tenure. Ultimately, I mean, while Varane is more two-footed than Maguire, I do think we've seen more success from Varane on the right anyways. So you're going to be playing one of them out of the preferred rest defensive position here anyways. And so I don't see why it shouldn't be Maguire. Fair enough. Yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures. There's no doubt about it. So, I've got another note here. Uh, it looks like you want to talk about Casemiro. Yeah, so I wanted to first talk about those center backs because I think the flaws that they had in these ma- in these matches, or in particular against Crystal Palace, are not the type that show up in, you know, a rewatch where you try to explicitly count errors or mistakes or what's going on, um, which is what Case and I usually do on our rewatches. We isolate a topic. We start a rewatch and we start counting so that we can gather evidence of things that we believe to be true or false on our first watch of the match. Um, and so in, in this match, I watched back the first half of Crystal Palace and I counted in possession mistakes. And United made 27 in possession mistakes in this first half solely in what I would call build up phases or, or sequences before creative attempts. So for example, if Bruno swings the ball into the box and it does not connect with a United player, I didn't count that as a possession error. 
Um, but if Casemiro makes a pass in the middle third um, and it goes out of play and the outcome of the pass would not have directly led to a shot, then that would count as an in-possession mistake. And of the 27 build-up mistakes, one of two or three of which I split between two players, um, the passer and the receiver, Casemiro was responsible for seven and a half, um, which was more than, or as many as any other two players combined. Um, can, we, can we talk about what a half means in this context? Because it, it, sure. we've got a lot going on here. So a half mistake would be, for example, uh, Casemiro has a slightly bad pass that still roughly reaches his man, and then his man miscontrols it. Um, an example could be a pass that's too high um, that a forward chests down but then loses. Um, I would ascribe half of the mistake to the forward and then half of the mistake to Casemiro. Um, if the pass is perfectly fine and then the forward miscontrols it, then I would describe the full error to the forward and not to Casemiro. Um, so one could argue that if, if I wasn't ascribing the half mistakes, it's the, it's the receiver who would be absolved of the blame. But in this case, Casemiro was the passer in pretty much all of these, and these were all straight-up mistakes. I don't think there were any where he was under pressure even against Crystal Palace because Crystal Palace didn't really press United in this game. And most of them were just, he has the ball and he gives it away. Um, simple build-up scenarios, bad decisions in the final third that weren't in an attempt to make a creative action, just bad decisions. Um, lack of awareness around him that leads to him being dispossessed. Errors of that variety that you really cannot have this many from your defensive midfielder. Um, or anyone, really, I think, at this level. Yeah, so just to get a little bit of clarity here, you're saying that he, he made these seven, eight mistakes, let's say, and and they were none of them were, you know, maybe ambitious, but there was an idea there and he just barely didn't pull it off. All of these are really, they're mistakes. They're unforced errors that didn't have upside. Yeah, I wouldn't say none of them are ambitious. Like, some of them try to be progressive, um, some of them try to cut through lines, but by and large, these are passes that were not in a creative phase. They were usually in the first two thirds or as soon as United get into the final third and they gave away the ball in a situation where either he should not have tried that pass or he should have completed that pass with a higher accuracy rate than he did. Okay. So what's your prescription here? I mean, how much of this performance do you think is down to, to you know, this, 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 I mean, seven and a half of 27, uh, you know, he's, he was involved in, in losing the ball in eight of 27 failed possession sequences. That's a third. What's the solution here? Just for, I'll give you a few options. Do you push him up further up the pitch? Do you push him further back on the pitch? Do you take him off the pitch? Uh, and do any of those solutions solve this issue? So let's conservatively say that if Casemiro completed all seven and a half of these passes, or let's say he even made a normal amount of errors, which the average in the team, the rest of the team was two or three, um, he or the ball would reach the final third, let's say two or three times more, or rather they would reach a creative opportunity two or three times more than they did. Um, in this half, I counted... 13 creative attempts either that failed or resulted in a shot from United. What's a creative attempt? A creative attempt is one of those actions that does lead to a ball loss, 
but not something that I would count as an in-possession mistake um, either, for example. So, for instance, a failed cross. A failed cross, a missed shot, a completed cross into a missed shot, um, a corner one, um, and then if there was a shot resulting from the corner, that would count as one creative attempt. United had 13 of them in the first half. Um, and you'll notice when we get on to Brentford that they had a lot more against Brentford. Casemiro was a lot better against Brentford. Um, uh, but the point here is if, except for one key moment, except for one key moment, if, if you're losing the ball eight times or seven times in buildup, and even half of them are leading to a failed or a lost, not even chance created, but like any ch- attempt to create any chance, a threat, um, He's taken away more than 20% of United's creative output in this match or creative attempts in this match as a result of basic mistakes in possession. Um, when you talk about playing against a low block, it really is fine margins, right? Because you don't know which chance could lead to the goal. And that means you want to maximize your final third entries. You want to maximize the efficacy of your creative attempts. Um, and you want to maximize the amount of ball wins at the time that you lose the ball because the more you can regain the ball the more you can afford to actually make attempts to create chances um and casemiro's in possession performance here was a straight detriment to that um he was involved in he had two shots in this half um one was a long shot which was fine one was a header from a corner they both could have gone in uh but even though he's getting some of these chances in the final third that we've seen him score from He's, I'd say, more so, more so hurting the team in build-up in a way that in the long run is going to mean that he he's costing more goals uh, than he's contributing compared to elite defensive midfielders, I think, based on his performances this season. I don't really think that's extremely debatable, to be honest. Does that make sense? I think that makes perfect sense. I mean... Okay, you can move him further forward. I think the problem with moving him further forward is that you then assign a uni- another United midfielder to build up. So I think if you're moving him further forward, the second thing is that Bruno has to play out wide because I don't really think that you should be pulling Bruno deep to get Casemiro further forward to play um, to play against the press. Um, I think Bruno is better in the final third. I, don't, I think he is a liability under pressure. And typically United have two midfielders who are heavily involved in build up at different points in the match. So if you're going to move Casemiro further forward, you're consigning yourself to playing Bruno out wide, and then you're getting in, I guess, Amrabat and Mount um, into your buildup, which would be the solution to that. Do I think that's a reasonable solution? Maybe. I still think he's going to give the ball away a lot. I, I still think you consign yourself to these errors. You just reduce the probability that they happen really deep, and you reduce the effects that pressure um, pressure from the opposition on Casemiro adds to the amount of errors that he makes. The other option, you could move him to center back. Again, I think you're still going to be consigned to bad decisions and, and mistakes he makes that aren't under pressure. But I think what you're doing there is you are leveraging the value added as a passer by putting him in a position where it's easier to penetrate the lines with passes. And it's also more valuable above the other options that United have with Lissandro Martinez out. The question there becomes whether he can defensively add as much value at center back as he does at defensive midfield, which I think he's made quite a few defensive mistakes recently. So I think there are a lot of questions around that too. Um, The final option really is to bench him. And 
I mean, this is something that you said before the last episode, but especially in the last episode, I think you said, like, I think it's time to drop Casemiro, and I was a little more reserved, but ultimately understanding, and now that I've gone and watched back these matches, I really think you're going to struggle to get around this, because Christian Eriksen came in against Brentford and was better, so Eriksen's available from the bench, you're going to find Kabi Mainu's available pretty soon, Anthony's back in the team, which means that you don't need to play Bruno or Mount out wide in the next match if you don't want to. There are options now to get Casemiro out of this team if he's not going to perform, and I think the evidence from this is suggesting that he's the lead contributor to these losses that are that are not beneficial to the team in spite of the when you when you say losses you mean make. ball losses not correct ball losses match losses okay. well match yeah. losses too yeah but both. ball losses yeah. right no i just wanted to be clear yeah um yeah i guess the only things i'll add on this issue we've talked about this a lot over the last two episodes so uh we'll, we'll try to keep it to a minimum going forward today but uh yeah i think if you play him further forward in f- midfield you worry um a, whether he's going to be able to do much in the final third beyond be a box threat, which, you know, being a box threat is not uh, not valuable. So that's that's not necessarily the biggest question. The other one is, do you trust him to track back and track runners? Because that's probably the second wor- the thing he's struggled with the second most this season. Um, but obvious pro, he's not receiving under pressure anymore. Play him at center back, again, obvious pro, he's not receiving under pressure in the same way anymore. But... Khan, do you trust him to track runners, and do you trust him not to slide in in these isolated situations, which is what he's been doing this year, and he has been fouling a lot, and he hasn't been winning the ball very often, and in a couple of key situations, he's he's made really, really big mistakes. Um, I remember, in particular, the Galatasaray match, and then this last weekend uh, against Brentford, he slides in after that ball loss. Um, yeah, that, that, that's that's all the context I would add to this conversation. I think we've done enough on Casemiro, unless there's anything else you want to say. I'll add one more thing that's less about Casemiro and more about playing center back on the ball. Another thing that's important to note is that it is easier in some pressure situations to play center back on the ball than it is to play defensive midfield. But another thing to add, I think, is that errors are even more costly. The deeper you bring players, the more costly the errors become. This is the problem with goalkeepers, right? Goalkeeper mistake on the ball is like a more than half goal probability in many scenarios. Center back mistake on the ball is still more costly than than defensive midfield. So if Casemiro is giving away the ball under no pressure um, in defensive midfield, then at center back when he does it, it's going to be even more costly. And we've already seen it cost United goals. Um, So these are all things to think about. I think maybe you would find he adjusted his risk appetite if he played center back. But I really don't think anything is to be assumed i think it's easy when you suggest a player to play another position to infer areas that of uncertainty as positive impacts when that's not necessarily how it's going to play out and so i think it's easier to have this conversation from the perspective of you know drop him or play him um even if that's a bit more reductive it's really difficult to go, yeah, I definitely think he's going to play better in central midfield. Or, yeah, I definitely think he's going to play better at center back because you're removing the aspects of his role where he's making mistakes. And I think you're just introducing new aspects where we don't know if he's going to make mistakes. Agreed. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I would drop Casemiro. Okay, 
you want to talk a little bit about Palistri here in, in the Palace match? Because as I see, seems like you, you've got you got a little bit to say here. Uh, he showed up. Uh, he stood out, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, so we talked about Casemiro having 7.5 in this score count of build-up mistakes. And another group that had 7.5 is Rashford and Palistri. Rashford had 4, Palistri had 3.5. Um, and I think the easier way to get into this discussion would be to talk about Rashford and then talk about Palistri. Um, the reason why I say that is because I think Rashford had four build-up mistakes and then he had four failed creative attempts, three of which were, I think, poorly informed dribbles into traffic, and then one which was a good dribble into traffic, but he failed the cross, um, which happens. And... Overall, I'd say this was a very frustrating performance for Rashford, and I think this goes into um, a key topic of United's attack and its ability to create against blocks, which is that right now, Rashford is the second best United attacker with the ball at his feet, and I think in any team that's contending for the title, I don't think that should be the case, especially against low low blocks. I think we've seen over the years now that this is where Rashford's game most falls short compared to some of the absolute best attackers in the world. We know against high lines, he's one of the most productive players in football. Um, we know that he can run in behind. We know that even last season, I think we saw, we started to see evidence of him being able to provide decent scoring output against these types of sides. But when you get into these games where he's isolating fullbacks one-on-one, the efficiency trade-offs are not there compared to some of the best attackers in the Premier League your, you know, Kevin De Bruyne's, even even your Bruno Fernandes's, in terms of his ability to convert these situations into actual goal-scoring chances. And just so we're clear, when you say these situations, you don't mean take-ons, you mean just threatening positions in the final third. Rashford up against a block where he is outside the block with the ball at his feet, in particular. Right. Not necessarily taking anyone on. Not necessarily taking anyone on, but part of the problem is his decisions as to whether he should take someone on or not. So the the key, the number one mistake or the number one issue he has here is decision making. It's whether and how much and to what extent he should take players on and then understand when to release the ball. Um, and this is a problem we've seen a lot with Garnacho, And I think how much Garnacho resolves that issue in his game will determine how he compares to Rashford over the next few seasons. Whereas with Rashford, I think he is what he is after all these years. You're going to see him lose the ball dribbling at players when he shouldn't. You're going to see him taking unfavorable shots against these defenses that waste opportunities and waste field tilt or territory that United have. And then another one is, I think as a creative player in general, he's very good. But I don't think his actual level of action is elite. I think as a dribbler, he still falls short of some of the best dribblers in Europe. And I think as a passer, he's obviously not a De Bruyne or a Bruno Fernandes who can, standing in front of a block, consistently pick out passes that break it apart. Um, And so, basically, I don't really think United should approach this differently because Rashford still is a player who is one of United's best on the ball. And so he's going to have to play this role if United are to have someone other than Bruno who breaks down these defenses. I guess you could argue that someone like Mason Mount coming in makes him the third best United player on the ball against a block. That's up to you. Um, But 
I think more the takeaway from this is that this is something that's going to limit United ceiling against low blocks. And the eventual solution, in my opinion, is probably to just reduce Rashford's involvement on the ball once you have enough players who can take up that burden uh, of creating and then see if he can generate more chances with his goal-scoring movement on the last line. I think when United were at their best last season, most of Rashford's form against these teams was him scoring goals. Um, and not particularly wonder goals, mostly just goals that I think were repeatable and um, and goals that you could expect from a forward. So Interesting. So, yeah, I, th- I think I agree with most of what you said there. I think it's clear that Rashford is sub-elite against these blocks. Uh, I do think a, a certain aspect of it is, again, United have been falling, be- falling behind in these matches, which means fewer stretched states. And that's not to say that Rashford only succeeds against high lines, but all attackers have more success in stretched game states. Um, and that can be against, you know, a, a side that is in its settled defensive shape. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're playing against a side that needs to score just as much as you need to score, if it's, you know, you're drawing game state, they're going to provide you, the opposition, necessarily with more space, even when they're defending. Um, so I would throw that in there. Uh, yeah, and then beyond that, so just just for complete clarity, you're not saying, you know, drop Rashford for Garnacho or drop Rashford for Mount. Um, Rashford for you is still the way forward at left wing. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think you can get away with dropping Rashford. I think even next season, if the team gets better, you're still probably not going to be in a position to drop Rashford. Um, I, I don't really see that as something in the question. I just think that the team needs to reduce its reliance on him in these situations, in these particular types of matches, because sometimes you'll have great games, but overall, I think you're going to get mixed results in the long term from a player like this against teams like this. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I might caveat it with this. I would not be averse to seeing Mount play at left wing in specific matches. Um, I think especially if Rashford's sort of vein of form continues, it wouldn't be an outrageous thing to do, especially, you know, when you get Regulon back, when you get Shaw back, potentially. Um, I think there are... I definitely think United would would benefit from having somebody who's more focused on distribution at left wing than taking someone on, especially in these matches where they're chasing a game when, you know, winger is going up against 1v2, 1v3 situations more frequently... Uh, I, I would see that as an alternative, but that is not to say that I've benched Rashford, that I think Garnacho is better, that he, he's not, that Rashford isn't one of the best players in the side, because he, he clearly is. Um, and he's super valuable to what United do in so many of their, you know, their, their best periods. And ultimately, that's what we're aiming for, right? To get back to a, a good stretch. Yeah, exactly. That's where Palistri comes in, because you go, okay, we want Rashford to be on the ball less. Now, that means that you're going to look to another forward who's going to provide you your on-ball output. And that's obviously not going to be Hoyland, because Hoyland's on the last line trying to fashion out goal-scoring chances. And so that's where Palistri comes in. Um, And, I mean, I don't really want to go in too hard on Palistri, because I really think the real thing wrong here is that he's just not good enough. His, his physicality and his technical ability wasn't enough to convert situations under pressure into uh, good possessions for United. I think 
he isn't good enough to convert good possessions from United into actual goal-scoring chances for United. And, I mean, I don't think this is a player who's going to be playing for United's first team long-term. I'm sort of jumping the gun here, but we did say we were going to talk later about injuries and specifically players coming back from injury. One of the players who's due back from injury before the end of the month is Ahmad Diallo. Do you see Ahmad is offering more than Palistri? Uh, what's your expectation there? Would you try him at right wing? I'm not sure it's an expectation that he offers more than Palistri, but it's a prediction, I would say. I, I, I think he will. Um, I don't think he's going to become a starter at right wing in this team, given the talent in the rest of the side. You've got Amrabat, Mount, Bruno... Um, you've got Kabi Menu coming in, who I would I would flag as a more promising prospect than Ahmad at this point. Um, you've got Anthony coming back; he's inevitably going to be part of selection. You've got Garnacho and Rashford on the left. You've got Hoyland up front. You might see Ahmad get occasional minutes at a position like striker in the event that Hoyland's absent. You might see him get occasional minutes at right wing. I expect him to be a squad level, no rather. I predict he will be a squad level contributor given the rest of the options in this team and where he stands I don't really think he's going to be the solution um I think if you get something like what you've gotten from Medjbri you'd be pretty well off from Ahmad I do think Ahmad is the higher ceiling player than Medjbri but I don't think it's reasonable to go this player has never played for us or in this division at this level Let's now expect him to be a contributor for a side that aims to get top four. I don't think that's a reasonable bet for me to place. I just think he might be better than some of the current options. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you on that. Um, Okay, so I think we've talked about Palace at at, a pretty extensive length here. We mostly talked about the center backs, Casemiro, Rashford, and then a little bit of Palistri. Obviously, other players play in this match. Why aren't we focusing on Dallow, Amrabat, Bruno, Mount, Hoyland here? What, what, can, can you give us like a quick rundown on, on, on their contribution here? Oh, Nana as well. Let's try. Um, and I think maybe what I'll do is we've actually hit a lot of the Brentford topics here. Um, Brentford, a lot more final third entries, a lot more failed creative attempts. That doesn't really say good things about United's creative ability, but it does say good things about their buildup because they're getting to the point where they can create chances. Um, Brentford press a lot more, which opens up the game a lot more. And what that leads to is actually the fact that Onana was going long a lot more. He was trying to go over Brentford's press, and I think that was the main source of ball losses and buildup. Um, we talked about Onana a fair bit in the last episode. He's not really in the best vein of form. Um, I don't think he was extremely efficient with his long balls against Brentford. I think he was largely fine against Crystal Palace. Um, the going long seems like a tactical approach. It doesn't seem like he's just whipping it long. Um, it was very specific to that game. I just think that some of the passes were quite wayward and he could have been concentrating them in better areas. Dalo has been really great. I honestly think he might be United's best player this season, uh, on the balance of things. He's been very strong in buildup. Against Brentford, he had a lot of really, really strong creative involvements where he would actually take on his opposing fullback and swing across in and complete the cross. Um, he's very press resistant. Crazy and a to very think of. Passer. <laughs> I know. It's like, I've never seen successful this before. Successful take from on a right and back. then a successful cross? 
Um, yeah, he's actually press resistant, actually has a wide range of passes, will dribble into space, is physically capable. We talked about his, or, or the defensive discussion around him against Galatasaray. I think in the grand scheme of things, he's been positive defensively. He's a strong aerial presence defensively, and his positioning's good. Um, sometimes he does struggle 1v1, but I think a lot of fullbacks nowadays struggle 1v1 because we're looking for other things in our fullbacks now. Um, yeah, I think Dalla's been very good. Mount, I would still like to see a little bit more involvement on the ball, but I also think he's been very good. In particular, he's been fantastic in the counterpress. He won so many balls from counterpressing situations in these two games. Um, and same with Hoyland, who we talked about in the last episode. Seems like he's getting into a bit of goal-scoring form, um, which leaves Bruno. Bruno was excellent against Crystal Palace in this first half. He barely gave the ball away. Um, against Brentford, he had a ton of failed creative attempts, but that's Bruno. I think he's undisputably, or indisputably, United's most effective creator and most efficient volume creator. And so I think you just ride the fact that some games he's going to try a lot of things and they don't lead to chances because that's what happens to good creators. And sometimes he makes bad decisions. He takes bad shots. He tries premature crosses. There were a few of them. Um, he tries to hit the last line with his passes long before the possession sequence even gets there. But I don't think those were a central topic of these games, which is why he didn't really come up that much. Good. Okay. Sounds like we've hit all the all the, the spots there. Uh, what's left from the Brentford match that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I, th- I think probably a, a good place to start would be to talk about how Brentford approaches out of possession play a little bit differently from Palace, right? Yeah, so they actually press. Um, they go man-to-man in midfield, notably. Um, and then they try to um, mark the front three quite directly when your goalkeeper is on the ball. So they'll force the ball back to Onana and then essentially man-to-man press your front three and your midfield three, um, which tends to leave a lot of space in fullback areas if you can clip the ball out into wide areas, which is what Onana was presumably tasked with doing. Um, there's a press conference where Ten Hag talks about this after Brentford beat United 4-0 um, in his second game in charge, where he goes, the idea is to invite their press and then they create spaces in the half spaces in United's half so then to play over the press into those areas. And in that match, De Gea was failing in, to play in those areas. Onana, I think, had a lot more success than De Gea did, but I think he could still do better given his ability. Um, and that uh, that also alters the effect of these matches, right? The fact that Brentford press means they win the ball more often than Crystal Palace. When they have the ball, they therefore have it in better positions and can do more with it. Palace did basically nothing, um, even though they scored and won. They did basically nothing in possession. Um, and they scored from a set piece. Brentford will have more of the ball, so United had less possession in this match. And when they lose the ball, there will be more transitions because they've committed more men forward, because they've committed more men to the press when you break their press. The situations that you find yourself in um, are United running at fewer Brentford players, which means that they're, they're going to look more transitional. They're going to have more ability to get into creative positions. And that's what we saw. We saw a lot more creative attempts. Um, we saw a lot fewer build-up mistakes and more of them coming from Onana than anybody else. And then 
we saw more scoring chances actually um as a result of that um we saw i'd say five legitimate scoring chances in the first half i think the real issue here is that for most of this match brentford were able to suppress the shot quality a lot i wouldn't be expecting them to go in and so it doesn't really put you in a position where you can create those chances and go oh yeah we're expecting to win the match from here so that's the main thing. I think in this match you have a more traditional struggle where you're getting into the final third and then you just need to create. Um, and I'm much happier with that struggle than I am with making 27 mistakes in build-up so that you don't even get to the position where you're failing to create chances. Um, and I think that overall works to be a principle of how to beat low blocks, right? You want your rest defense to be strong and you want to be tight on set pieces so that you're not conceding too many transitions and set pieces or, or goals from transitions and set pieces. And then... You want to limit your mistakes in build-up and limit the time you spend in build-up so you can get to the final third. That was a lot better against Brentford. And then when you're in the final third, you want to turn as many of your attempts into actual goal-scoring chances and high-quality goal-scoring chances. And that comes down to decision-making, actual quality of delivery, runs on the last line, um creation of overloads and finally shooting ability and ability to turn um, tight spaces into good shot looks, which was something that happened to Hoyland a lot here. He got in, he made good runs, got on the ball in good spaces, and then just couldn't quite convert it into a shot, which is a, something that will come with time B something that happens to the best of strikers because they're the ones always making the runs and getting into those positions. Interesting analysis. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do think it was improvement against Brentford. I do. Um, in particular, I thought that the most encouraging thing was late on the team actually showed some fight. And I know that's like nebulous and ridiculous, but I do think, I mean that more specifically in that all of the chances came late. Um, there was pressure uh, and it was building and then ultimately, it was really scrappy and ugly, but it broke. Um, and I do think that matters. Uh, well, yeah. You can talk about like building momentum, that's one thing. But I just mean, in, in other matches this season where United have needed to go chase, where they needed to go create chances, they, they had to to get a result, that they never even built pressure. It's not like they were, you know, they were trying, they were trying, they were trying, and it never came. It just never, there was no... That United have gone out with a whimper rather than a bang so many times this season. Um, and I, I think that is really why why the, the positive to take away from this Brentford match beyond what you've said. Yeah, and I mean, I think it shows in the types of chances that led to the goals as well. I said this in the last episode. You had Garnacho hitting the, la- the, the byline and cutting balls back into the box. You had multiple players flooding the box and getting on the end of chances. Um, things like, like I said, the Martial disallowed goal where he sort of shins it off two defenders and into the goal. That stuff happens when you actually create chaos. You actually get the ball into those zones. Um, a lot of, like, you might interpret it as lucky, but in some ways you create your own luck by, again, getting the ball into a place where luck can occur. And I think if United's problem this season is that they're consistently entering the final third, but not creating chances as well as some of the best teams in this league, I think that's where we thought this team would be. Whereas, I think if United's problem is getting to the final third at this stage against these teams, you really have to take a look at why that's happening, because that's not going to be enough to finish in the top four. 
Yeah, and I think that it's also unacceptable at this at, at this phase. Um, a lot of money has been put into the side, in particular in deeper areas. Um, and United should not have trouble managing matches. Uh, it's one thing if you can't put the ball in the net, because putting the ball in the net is really hard. Uh, but you should be able to prevent the opposition from creating chaos. Uh, you should be in control of matches. And I think for the most part, United did control this match against Brentford. Uh, there were some key failings. Obviously, they went down. But I do think those those issues are addressable. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, I, I I hate coming back to this every time because it, it just sounds more and more ridiculous. I do still think this team is performing below their true level. I do think, like, theoretical world where the, the manager gets sacked, you bring in someone new, I think there's going to be very serious new manager bounce. Not because I think, like, the players are sick of you know, the current coaching staff, but rather because this team is just naturally going to get better. This this team is better than it has shown. Um, I don't know how good that is. It, it probably at this point is not good enough to get top four because of the hole you dug yourself. But as you get more and more players back, you're getting to the point where you can begin to isolate these mistakes and build up and get them out of the team. Um, and that's something that we've both been emphasizing, right? If you want to cut down on execution mistakes on a tactical plan, Cut out the players who are not executing on this tactical plan. Unless they bring such outsized value in other areas compared to their alternatives. An example of that might be Varane. I don't think Varane's a particularly good player in build-up, but I think what he's bringing defensively compared to the other center backs is worth whatever you're losing with him over them, which isn't that much. Um, But I don't think that's the case in every single player in United's back line. And so I think the real most important thing is playing the most technically able sides possible on the ball. And increasingly, you have the options to do that in this team. Uh, Before we move on from Brentford, and we'll talk a little bit about the the new options that United are going to have after this this international break, I feel like we need to make a little bit of noise for Scott McDominay because we kind of breezed over it last episode. That was inc- what he did there was incredible. Um, he he does have a knack for these moments. Um, as much as I think he's probably not at the level to play for United, I mean, what a moment! Like 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 totally. United were in desperate need of, of something like that, and, and he provided it. Yeah, I mean, as far as indirect set piece threats go, he is probably one of the better players in United squad. I think bringing him on in the 88th minute when you're hitting the ball into the box a lot is far from unreasonable. What we object to is McTominay's use as a starting midfielder who has legitimate burdens and build-up and complicated pressing schemes. But I have no issue with McTominay being a last five minutes, you've already made four productive attacking subs, and you need someone to get on the end of chances and cause chaos. Like, I mean, I think he came on to do explicitly what he did, and he did it, and he has a track record of doing it. I, I have to say some of my favorite goals from the last few years have been McTominay goals. Um, the other yeah. one that comes to mind is the Manchester Derby when he like lumps yeah. it into the open net. Um, I watched that game alone and I was like screaming. Okay. Last thing on the topic of football today, Aaron, before we wrap it all up, you might have a couple of players coming back from injury specifically expected to be available after the international break. You've got Rafael Varane, you've got Sergio Reguilon, and you've got Kabi Menu. And then the week after that, Ahmad Diallo was supposed to be back. Those are the imminent returns. Um, that's a lot of, wow. in my opinion, the, the, those are some pretty impactful. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. 
Varon and Regulon go straight into the team if they're if they're able to. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd put the priority on managing Varon's fitness, I mean, both of their fitness, because it doesn't look like Shaw, Malasia, and Lissandro are coming back anytime soon. Um, and I'll so do you it need, in the new year. You need those players to get you to Christmas. And so if that means going easy in these next three matches, which you should have enough quality to win without them, and then making sure they're fit for Man City and Newcastle and the other big Champions League games, then you do that. As for Maynou, I think it's easy to get ahead of ourselves with that because he's never played at first team level, but he's awesome. And I mean, I honestly think he has a potential to be a starter for this team, maybe even this season. It really just comes down to what his fitness levels are and how well he's able to cope with the jump to Premier League level when he gets the minutes that he's inevitably going to get. Yeah, I'd take it a step further. Uh, I would start Maynou over Casemiro at this point. I don't think he could possibly be worse than this version of Casemiro. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, I guess the assumption I'm going on is that you could drop Casemiro and not play Maynou. True, but yeah. Okay, so if you can do that, you do that because you need to protect him. However, if you're faced with a situation where you're planning on starting Castanero, I would simply start Manu instead, if only just to see what he can do. Um, yeah, I, I last late last season, uh, Casemiro was you know in a bad run of form, and I think I talked on this podcast. I think we both talked on this podcast about how it was not our expectation that it would continue. Um, and so we sort of dismissed it. We moved on. We didn't talk about it. It's been six months at this point where he has not played well. Uh, and so I think at this point you have the question of whether he's permanently, you know, declined. That's one thing. You have the question of whether this is like, you know, some, he's, he's just hugely out of form. That's another thing. But regardless of the reason he's not contributing Pause. He's not adding value to this team. He is reducing win probability when he takes the pitch consistently. Um, and so I think for me, the Manu return is, is arguably the most important because it looked like going into this season that he was going to play a big role. And now it, I feel that he needs to. Uh, so for me, that's, that's the big one I've got my eyes on. But obviously Varane and Regulon, huge. Yeah, at this point, there are five midfield players I'd be picking over Casemiro, um, if you include Manu, because you've also got Amrabat, Mount, Bruno, and Eriksen, who I all think, who I think... Did you I mention Medjbri? I didn't mention Medjbri. I'm not sure I'd pick Medjbri over Casemiro at this stage, but... I would. Th- there's a chance. <laughs> I would. I would. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to make him a scapegoat, because he's not the only reason United have been poor. However, he's playing at a level... Like he's playing, he's seen, he's played worse than Medjury this season. I just significant, I think, like significantly. I, I like, but more specifically, I want to make a more specific point. My 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 issue with with him at this point is specifically that he's playing at such a low. Le- he's playing at a level that no United players left starting are still playing, but many players were playing at that level a few years ago. We'll see. I hope. I really hope he comes back around because he's a sixty-something million-pound midfielder who we were supposed to be counting on, and he's just not that. Yeah, I mean, long story short, I think at this point you've got Onana, Dalo, Regulon, Varane. I'd play Maguire. 
You've got Amrabat, Mount, Bruno, Rashford, Hoyland, and then you've got players like Erickson. You've got lots of options coming into the team. Um, Anthony, you're starting Maud. to get to the point where it begins to look a little bit normal. Um, and obviously Shaw and Lissandro, who I think are at this point, two of your like four or five best players missing is massive. Um, but either which way, this team should be able to cut out some of these mistakes and build up and consistently dominate the opposition that they've been playing. I agree. I agree. From, from this point forward, it's really no excuses because the issues are right in front of us. And in my opinion, solvable, even with this squad. So for me, the proof will be in the pudding. I, I am watching keenly to see how this gets managed going forward, uh, in the, in the coming weeks and months. All right, Aaron, um, no details. This is the section where you can ask us anything, but with one rule, it can't be about football. Aaron, my no details question for you is, would you prefer to have to fight a chicken to the death every time you get in a car, or once a year, you have to fight an orangutan to the death, with a, but you have a sword? That's the caveat. Those are your options. Which is your preference? The chicken, probably. I mean, probabilistically. Like, I think, I think the orangutan has more than a 50% chance of winning, which means that I, I don't know but what the loss results in. You do have a sword. For you do have a sword, but I'm not really like a, like a skilled fencer. sword. Yeah, I'm not really a fencer or like a jouster. So I feel like I'd have to go with the chicken based on my qualifications. I wonder how Alex Collings would, would, would respond to this <laughs> Alex, uh, one of the founders of, of Pod Shop Pod, who sometimes listens to this podcast, uh, is I, I don't know if he's, he's a, a fencing. He's, he was a very successful fence, but more he was a very successful fencer um, at a national level in South Africa, as I understand it. Um, shout out to Alex. Yeah, uh, I think I also take the chickens just because of the risk of death. However, the chickens would be so inconvenient. Like think about <laughs> having to explain that. The the other thing with the chickens, I just not drive at that point. I mean, I already yeah, don't really. That's drive, what everyone says. I just not yeah. drive. Yeah, but I think, but I think the other thing with the, with the chickens is you would get so good at it because you'd have to do it so often that like it wouldn't even be hard. Like, which is honestly kind of scary. The and first three trips and to the hospital would be, really would be worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, whereas with the orangutan, like you're always going to be in jeopardy, and also you know that orangutan is going to get you eventually. When you're like 65, 70, 75, one of those years, even if you get really good, that orangutan is going to get you. You know. And that, that for me is what puts it over the edge. It's gotta be the chickens. But, the chickens would, would be bad, man. I don't, I don't think I want the chickens either. I think that's the point of the question, so. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Okay. Alright, that was my, uh, that was my no details question. I think, I think I gotta run at this point. I do too. Alright. <laughs> Aaron, thanks for, uh, thanks for putting the time on this. Thanks for, coming on and I will see you next week when we discuss United's uh, either continued slow demise or hopefully uh, they're playing Sheffield United so please just please please all right that's all I got thanks everyone all right (laughs) see you next week everybody 
We hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details podcast. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor, who you can follow at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week and see you next time.